Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Okay, well, good evening, everybody. We are back at Bitcoin Roundtable. This is episode 23. That's crazy. That's my lucky number, too. I swear to God, yeah. And Vince here. I'm here with Darren, Libby, and we have a special guest who is a good friend of ours. His name is Jill. Jill, hey. we'd like to welcome you to the podcast. How are we doing, guys? Well, what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I don't think we'll be at too much of a loss for words tonight, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, earlier with Jill, he brought up a couple pointers about blockchain and perhaps a world that he envisions coming sooner than people may think. Perhaps you could elaborate on something you talked about earlier. Well, we were just talking about a blockchain technology and how it's really going to fit into practical uses and what we do today. I don't like talking necessarily about the technological aspects of it because to be quite honest with you, there's a lot that I don't necessarily understand. But from a practical standpoint, I love the fact that it's transparent, that everything's on a public ledger and something that we have difficult time in doing in our society, which is to trust one another, especially when it comes to business. So I just seen it hit all different types of business that's out there from entertainment, government, music. I mean, honestly, anything that's out there in business that can be global, I think that's another key point. Like, for example, when the internet started off back in the mid-90s, it was mainly a North American thing because we're the ones that had access to it. But now the internet's global. It's everywhere. Even in Kenya, they're using their cell phone minutes to trade, which I find to be super exciting. There's probably about 4 billion people on the planet that don't don't have access to banks. All you need is a cell phone and you can start transacting and I find that to be exciting. We call them the unbankables. We've brought that up in the past podcast. Many times. To bring forth more specific example, I think you mentioned Genesis Vision Technologies. GVT. Something in my personal life that I've started doing is I started investing. The different avenues I had is I can either just look into the stocks myself and invest what I think is best or I can go to a broker. Part of the reason I didn't go to a broker is yet again something I was talking about which is trust. Who do I know? And just because someone tells me this broker is good, how do I know they're good? It's going to take a bit of time and the reason is if you get these people that start investing into the stock market and everything's recorded, everything's on a public ledger and I can see where they've made their money, where they've lost money yeah. and this is where yet again the blockchain comes in as a perfect example. Where right now today you can, if you walk into a brokerage and ask to see the person's stats how do you know whether or not they're right or they're wrong? We don't know which comes down to the trust factor and because of blockchain now we're going to have a system where we can see the people that are truly very good at what they do and it's going to make things much easier to do. As an example, would Bernie Madoff still be allowed to pull off what he did if GVT was following all his trades? I guess the short answer is no. Think about it. You would have never heard of this guy's name if blockchain were around because right. he would have been immediately discovered from point A. It's a good point to bring up because there are people out there that are fraudulent like that. Now you take a company like Genesis Vision, yeah. a guy's trading on the platform, and you're gonna know their stats. There's no hiding anymore, which I think is phenomenal. It's out there in the open for everyone to see. So now when you're gonna go invest in the stock market, you don't even have to pick a company anymore. You can just pick Vince yeah. and say, Vince, you're trading and you're making 15% gains and you've done it for three years. That's your average. 
well, of course I want to invest with you. Yeah. And now I can give you the commission and not the brokerage you work for. I can give it directly to you. So for everybody out there, Jill, what first got you onto a cryptocurrency? Was it Bitcoin and when was it? So it was probably just this past fall, probably like November, December. Now I have heard of Bitcoin before that, but I didn't really pay any attention to it. But it was mainly because I just wanted to start investing my money into the market. So you liked the idea of a different kind of currency that wasn't run by a bank, i.e. decentralized, and you more like the fact that it was so open sourced, where there was no chance of real fraudulent activity going on. Is that what really got you attracted to it? So let me ask you this question. Yeah. So as a general rule, do you trust your government? I don't trust anybody. And you know what? That's a fair answer. So for example, we'll even tone it down a bit. Do you trust your cell phone provider? And do you think that they're putting you first? Or do you think they're putting their own concerns first? I know everybody's always putting their own concerns first. That's right. But when you have everything on an open source ledger, yeah. when you have everything up front, when you can see the history of everything, yeah. if I'm going to go and I want to buy your car, okay, the history of your car from the time that it was made, where it was made, yeah. every oil change. Well, with cars, we do have Carfax now. You do have that information. We do, but it's still <laughs> centralized. Yes. Which means if you're going to try and sell your car, what's going to stop you from saying, oh, you know that little accident that I had? Let's just delete that. So there's nothing stopping you from doing that. Now, when you have a blockchain, the first time you try and take something out, something's going to go off. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. There's no messing around and me trying to buy your car. I know the details of it. Mm -hmm. It's all there. Everything is tracked. You can see every transaction. Correct. That's what you like about it. It's, it's transparent. There's no hiding anything. Yeah. Yes. You can't change it. For a long time, we just haven't lived like that. So what was your first crypto you got onto? Was it Bitcoin? Yes. Bitcoin is the first thing that I got because like, in order to access any other coins, you need a wallet. And I'm pretty sure by now a lot of people know what a wallet is. I'm going to kind of scale even a little further back here. It's like we have the internet. We have a way of doing things now compared to how we've done things for the past couple hundred years. But what we haven't had with the internet is a currency. And that's what I feel blockchain is going to help the internet with. And especially Bitcoin. It's a great currency to go with the internet. Fiat currency and the internet is like ice cream and steak. Yeah. Both are good, but together sure. just they don't work. One is a paper currency, the other is cryptography, right? So you need one to go with the other, and that's what I like about it, is that it truly makes sense. You can be on your phone now and do all the transactions, do everything on your phone, and you don't actually need a paper currency anymore. And that's what kind of drew me to blockchain and Bitcoin and everything else. It all made sense coming together. Internet came around in the mid 90s and we've been kind of needing something else now to kind of move us into the next transformation as to where we're going as a society. This to me makes perfect sense. Now we can transact and globally, like I go shopping for food. We want to talk a bit about food, right? And I actually look for local food. I'm looking for food that I can buy that's close to where I live. As long as you're willing to pay the money for local food. Vince, I'm going to be honest with you. If I could pay a dollar for a tomato mm -hmm. that comes from Ontario or from Mexico, I'm going to look where it says Ontario. Right, but what if the Ontario tomato is $2? Um, that is a good question. I did a little work in the food business for a year or two. I love the concept of the mile market, the 10 mile market, the 50 mile market. The problem is it's not feasible. And when it comes right down to it, there's no profit in food. Your profit margins 
are razor thin. There's no money to be made in the business. But a lot of people want to buy organic, right? Now, why do uh, they? That's the real question. Why? If I can support a local person in my town, I will. But I won't do it if it means a significant increase to my wallet. I, I do agree with you, and I don't really know why. And I might not even know the guy that lives 50 miles away from me, but for some reason, I want to take care of home first. Like, if we can't take care of Canada first, how on earth are we going to help someone in Mexico? You got to care. And if you got the money to care, but the majority of the people don't, and when push comes to shove, they're going to buy the cheapest. So why are they able to ship it halfway around the world for cheaper? See, that is the right question to ask. Something I found out recently. Yeah. I'll take chickens in the U.S. They're going to ship them all the way to China. Mm-hmm. They're gonna process them yeah. and then ship them back ready to go. Because yeah. it's cheaper to do that than to do the same process in the United States. Well, no, they bid on that. We're talking about hundreds of millions of chickens probably. And they're able to do it because they pay the guys 15 cents an hour. Yeah. And they can put them on a big barge for how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, ship them over, ship them back, and still get it done cheaper and paying the guy $14 in the US to do it. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it's a little bit asinine. It's why you can get chicken for three ninety nine a pound sometimes. Let me ask you this question. Would you be willing to pay a little bit more for a chicken that's homegrown compared to a chicken that was just like we said came from China? What I do know is, and I'm talking about where we live, Canada, we do have very high food standards, right? We got great inspection systems. Sure, shit falls through like out west with the mad cow, but that happens very, very rarely. Correct. Anything that is probably sitting there available at your good high-end grocery store, even a good grocery store, it's sellable product. So would I pay more? No, I wouldn't. But to some people, that does make a difference. And it's allowed to, sure. Like, to me, if the chicken that I'm eating is, shall we call it, a happy chicken, gets a run around in a farm, gets to eat what it usually eats. I'm not gonna pretend that I'm a scientist and I know what chickens usually eat, but we'll say chicken feed. We'll keep things simple. Uh, grain. Yeah. grain, thank grain. you, Libby. Compared to a chicken that's maybe stuffed in a little box and we feed it whatever it is so that it can Rice. grow to an optimal level. Now there's people that do care about that. And let's get back to what we're talking about, yeah. which is kind of blockchain. Now, <laughs> Are we going from food back to blockchain? Well, we can, but and I'll tell you how. Blockchain's everywhere, man. And I'll tell you how is that you'll be able to track this chicken from the time it was born, where it's been, what it's done, what it's eaten, the feed that it's had, Uh the farm that it was raised. You can do that today with your food. How? I worked in the food industry for two of the world's biggest food service companies and put 12 years in. Okay. And the one thing I will tell you is that you buy a hunk of steak from Zares. They can track that piece of steak back to the animal, back to the farm, back to where it was born. But how? It's, it's all coded. The animal is coded. The information can be manipulated. Sure, it can be. So can anything. No, there's no reason to manipulate it. If you're putting out a good product. If you're putting out a bad product, there's a great reason for you to manipulate the information because you want it to seem like it's a good product. This happens all the time and not just in the food industry, but in the toy industry for kids, anyone that has kids. There are toys out there that are extremely harmful to kids. (laughs) Now there are toys out there that are absolutely fine for kids. How do you know? So where do you buy your toys? Yet again, into blockchain, you can really delve deep because you can't erase the past from where it was made what the company was, material that was used, where did that material come from? Well, I mean, I think the end game is you see a piece of steak in Zares, 
you see the 3D barcode, you scan it on your phone, and you, you have all that data. It's accessible to you instantly. Instantly. That's the point with blockchain. Right. You can't manipulate it. You know it's trustable because it's a system that's built without the need for trust between any two parties. And that's why you want it. And that's why I got into the whole thing in general. Like, I don't want to live in a society where I don't trust my government, my insurance company. Let's be honest, your friends. <laughs> do you trust uh, anybody? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. Yeah, there's certain people. And okay. you know what? Some of those people have let me down, but I mean, yeah. we're, we're human beings. You go out and buy a home. I have. Now, more than likely, I'm not saying you did, but more than likely, you probably used a broker. I did. Have you known your broker your whole life? No. So the biggest expense mm -hmm. your entire life without yeah. knowing the history of the person that was selling it to you and knowing anything about them. Well, that's not true. I did know something about the person. Who okay, was. so you knew a little bit. Yeah, I knew past. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. But you still don't know the history and do these people even have their license? Did you go and look at all that? Or did you just assume that they had these things? I'm sure I went and saw them in their big old uh, real estate office. I guess the question I'm asking, has anyone been sold a house that wasn't what they thought it was because the broker didn't really do their homework because they're not really that good of a broker. Then you ask around before you do anything like that, especially when you talk about a house. You're know, asking around, but you're asking people that don't yeah. really know. But what are our options? Well, you try to find a balance, right? Yeah. You learn what qualities, what character a person possesses and whether or not you should trust them. When it comes to brokers, you ask friends that you do trust who may know of brokers that they trust. Basically, go through whatever degrees it takes to find somebody that you think would be less likely to screw you over. Yeah. Yet again, you can look at the stats. That's what I'm getting yeah. to. You can look at that broker and say, okay, the last 15 houses that he sold yeah. have sold for this much and yeah. the market value for them now is this. I get it. So you're tracking the person. That's you know? right. It's getting back to Genesis Vision, right? Yeah. You're trying to go to a guy that's selling you stock Yeah. and he has a history of selling stock that goes up in value. Right. which is what every stockbroker is going to tell you, but that's not what every stockbroker is doing. But an aside to that, but it's somewhat related, you're aware of the Canadian Realtor Association. Have you ever looked on some of the real estate sites in the U.S.? There's a couple of sites out there. like Once they started selling houses for a dollar, I kind of stopped. No, you know, it was random. I just picked a, you know, I think it was New York or something or New Jersey. I just clicked on a house and, and it had a history of all the past purchases for like the last 80 years the price it was purchased at, the taxes on it. That's pretty cool. Everything, right? Like the number of days it's been on the market, all the stats, taxes, estimated utility bills, like it, it was all there. Things that actually make a difference when you want to buy a like, house. Because if you've ever gone on to the realtor site in Canada. No, it's not like that. There's nothing there. No. It's insane. If it's listed for 15 days, on market, it hasn't sold. Yeah. Well, they kill the listing and then they bring it back up again. Yeah. So you never know how many real days on market it's been. So why are they trying to hide shit? Well, they're, they're obviously trying to keep the market propped up. It's amazing. And this is what I mean about getting all the smoke out of the way and just seeing things for the way that they are. You know, like musicians that are actually going to get the money that they should be making. Certainly. Like, why are all these record companies rich? They didn't do anything. You can't say they didn't do anything. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't say they didn't do anything. They're the ones that are actually producing the music. So take someone that makes a painting. If you want to go and sell a painting somewhere and you're going to go to someone that sells paintings, 
How much commission are they taking? Minimum 40. Like 40%. Now, what are they yeah. actually doing compared to what you did? You did a lot. Dude, yeah. I disagree with you. <laughs> it's right Come on, man. Something you can't do. How many times have you paid money to have someone do something you can't do? But what can I not do if the painting's done? I can't sell it, though, to someone in the States. Why not? I don't have the contacts. And I don't these, have the inclination. It's these highfalutin guys with galleries and they bring in money. Yeah, it's important. You make less money if you don't have one. Whereas, you know, if you got one of these guys, you pay him 40%. We're living a good life. If I'm worth three billion and he's worth two and a half billion, we look at that painting and we're like, I think I'd pay 400,000. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers to big ears. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> So, Jill, what have you been doing with your time? I heard you've been playing a little bit of poker. Yeah, I certainly like playing cards. A little No Limit Hold'em, a little Omaha. I've started transitioning to fantasy football, which is a little bit different, but same type of thinking. Now, for everybody out there, you play cards, can we say, semi-professionally? Yeah, well, I guess you could say that, sure. It's been part of my income for, like, over 10 years. Where's the follow-up question? Tell us more. Okay, so fantasy football. I don't know, there's quite a few gambling coins I keep running across. A lot of them haven't done very well, but is there any kind of blockchain thing going on in that world? Like in the fantasy football side of things, or not really? I would think when it comes to past stats and things like that, mainly probably how other players are doing and what they've picked. What I like about the NFL is that it obviously Thursday night football, but mainly Sundays is when it comes on. So I have a whole week to prepare. <laughs> fantasy hockey, fantasy basketball. It's too fast. I find it for me too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I like about football is on Monday, even though Monday night football is on, my week is done. Right. And I start reviewing my information. How did I do? How are my picks? What were the good ones? What were the bad ones? And I just start going over. I look at the winners. Who did they pick? Sometimes, I mean, it's so totally different than what I was doing. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out how did they get there? Right. I sit down every week. What are the matchups? Like, that's really what I'm looking at. Like, New England is playing Pittsburgh. I've got some high-end level talent here. What are the defenses? Who's playing who? And you just start breaking it down. So you're doing a lot of homework before you turn around and pick your games. All week long, following injury reports. And And it's funny you said that because really when you start looking into why I started investing my money in the stock market, it's the exact same thing. Before I did that, I obviously wanted to do my homework. And let's talk about some of the things I invested in. I invested into the weed market, marijuana, the legalization in Canada, the medicinal values that it has. The acceptance of cannabis by the medical community. Why has it been suppressed for so long? I just see it as a product that I think a lot of people are going to use. We'll just leave it at that. Is there money to be made in it? Yes. Same with lithium. I believe in Elon Musk and the vision that he has. The electric vehicle and what is supporting that, it's the lithium battery. I'm invested into the mining of it. I'm trying to look ahead. Where are we going as a society? You know, why did I transition from playing a lot of poker to going into fantasy football? Because I felt that everyone's really good at it now, whereas the fantasy football has kind of exploded. And right. I feel that it's kind of like the poker boom of the early 2000s. So no secret, you've had some success playing poker. Yeah. Would you say that success playing poker has helped you as far as understanding 
understanding fantasy football? 100%. I'm going to be honest with you. I think poker has taught me a lot just how to be successful in life. Okay. We all know sometimes you're doing all the right things, whether it's your personal life, your business life, your relationship. Sometimes you're doing all the right things and all the wrong things happen. Sometimes you're doing all (laughs) the wrong things and then all the right things are happening. And most of the time, everything's right in between. Most of the time, that's where we kind of hover. They always say, especially in relationships, happy wife, happy life. You take care of your wife and everything is good. And you start looking at poker, you start looking at investments. It doesn't really matter what it is. You to make the right decisions uh, to the best of your ability, but understand that due to variance, bad things may happen, but in the long run, as long as you're making the right decisions, you're definitely better ahead. So, what else is going on in the world, boys? Well, what's Bitcoin at? We haven't talked about that. Uh, I saw 63 down a little bit. Great time to invest. So, I always personally think whenever the markets are down and people are running away, <laughs> yeah. the smartest investors yes. invest. And if what, you get in now, you get to get in a lot earlier than I did because I didn't get in at six. Like, how many people <laughs> think that Bitcoin by December is still going to be at $6,000? I think it'll be over 20 by December. I think we're going to break the trillion dollar cap mark this year, which basically means I think Bitcoin is going to probably be at 25, 30,000. A lot of people say 25. But see, yet again, we're talking about the end of this year and my answer is who cares? I, like personally, I'm not looking at this year. I'm looking at two, three years from now. I've invested probably in about 10 different coins. Yeah. And I am not selling any of them. It's in Canada and I think the US as well. Canada, it's two years. So if you sell your investment before two years, it's an added tax. And is that capital gains tax, by the way? It's like a speculation tax or something. (laughs) Basically, at the end of the day, you pay a hell of a lot more tax if you sell before two years than if you wait. It's something to investigate. For some of the people that don't know a lot about crypto yet, is cryptocurrency considered an asset class? Like if I were to buy a stock of, for example, I bought Aurora stock this year, the marijuana stock. Yeah. If I bought, let's say, some Bitcoin, is it considered the exact same thing as Aurora no. stock? No, it's not. So I'm not going to be paying the tax on it yet. It's not a security in the eyes of the CRA or the IRS. Yet. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Regulation is coming. Yeah. Which is good. Which if is you want to be a super compliant person and make sure you do everything correctly, everything you buy with Bitcoin, you, you pretty much have to document it, right? So what was the value of the Bitcoin when you bought it versus when you actually bought something with it? And if it increased in value, then there's a, that's a taxable event. Well, we're at the infancy stage of this whole scenario. We're sure at the are. very beginning of this whole technology. It's that's very true. That's why when people are looking at the short term and what's going on this week and next week, and it's up and it's down. If you're a day trader, I can't help you. You're out of my element. It's been quite volatile. So most day traders just like volatility, right? It goes up and down. And yeah, they yeah. try to make money off it. But luckily, I'm. Old. Yeah. So I've learned over the years to be patient. It seems when you're younger, you're like, oh, it's been three months. What's going on? What's right? going on? You are old. You have to almost look at the three to five year term. But in June 2020 is the halvening of Bitcoin. When a block gets mined, half of the amount of Bitcoin gets paid out on a mined block. So all of a sudden, there's just a lot less Bitcoin 
bait every day. Which is good. Get in now before the happening. How many Bitcoins are you getting mined a day? A day? I'm getting pointed at like I'm supposed to know this answer. So one thing I just read is that more Bitcoin is being mined more than ever, which makes sense. No, actually that's not, not really true. true. No. No, that's the opposite is true. Well, there's more people trying to mine it. That's Whoa. true. Yes. That's yes. true. That's true. That's very true. Do you know you know the simple idea of mining Bitcoin, right? hundred percent. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah, there's more people trying. Yeah. But the more people that try make it harder. So it's correct. Well that's what the very last one is gonna take no. a ridiculous amount of time. Well, no, it's not time. It's just processing power. Worldwide Bitcoin mining processing power increased by eight giga hashes in like the last week was which is actually the same amount of processing power. That Australia that increased from 2017 to 2018. Last year, they increased by the same amount they did last week. Huge amount of processing power coming online. Basically, no matter how much processing power is out there, you're only going to be mining an X amount of Bitcoin per block. So what's going to happen once we get to the end? Let's just say it's uh, 2042 and every single Bitcoin has now been mined. What do you think it's going to be worth? That's why John McAfee is, is saying he sees it easily worth a million dollars. Well, he said conservatively a million in 2020, but he said, you know, my gut feeling is four to six million. But I'm talking 2040. But that's what he's basing it on. He's saying, imagine the amount of processing power for the last Bitcoin. But he's extrapolating that yeah. to 2020. Like. So he thinks in a year and a half yeah. that it's going to be worth a million dollars. Yeah. It's hard for me to believe. I got nothing to, like, bad to say about McAfee. You know, he has had some actions <laughs> in the past that are a bit unusual, right? <laughs> but that doesn't mean he's stupid. No, no, no. In, no, in no. fact, Come on. you know. He ain't dumb. Is he eccentric? Yes. It's interesting how quickly some people can laugh it off. Market cap's gonna have to be at $25 trillion. Yeah. Now, as a society, something that I looked at every year as a whole, we spent $100 trillion as a global economy. They say about 60 trillion of that is through investments, stock markets, equities. Interesting you know your numbers so well. Uh, I'm impressed. I don't know those numbers. So the market cap right now for crypto in general, between 275 and 280 right now, billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At our peak, we were at around yeah. 850 right. billion. Yeah, we're getting close to the trillion, but not quite, yeah. Now the stock market in the US at its peak has been around, is it 50, 55 trillion dollars? Yeah. That's invested in it. Something sounds worth. So, look at crypto compared to the stock market. We're a little tiny sliver of. As it stands, we're at two hundred seventy-five billion. Yeah. In a fifty-five trillion dollar industry. That's right. And we have no investor money in yet. It's all mom and pop shops, as I call it. There's no real big investors. Are there okay. a few okay. big whales in there? <laughs> yes, of course. Let me be the devil's advocate here. I'm fairly certain that Bitcoin is going to get there. Now, from everything I've read or surmised about Bitcoin, is it either goes to zero or it goes to everything. <laughs> it's all encompassing, right? Sure. Or it just dies on the vine. Knowing that the world adoption rate is under 2%, I think it's around 1.5. It's actually closer 1. to 1.7. Bitcoin's adoption rates. How certain are you that it's going? It's going instead of just dying. First of all, phenomenal question. 
<laughs> I, lo- I love it when someone else comments someone on their question. That was a great question. It is. It's a phenomenal question. I love it. The one thing that we lack in our society are skeptics. We we just seem to accept things for the way oh, that they yeah. come. And he's I- fired on a podcast. I heard a fart. No, he never farted. I mumble. I've never farted on podcasts. <laughs> He's waiting for one of my answers. He's like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> Answer your question. Number one, when I look at this technology that's global, we've come to accept that and we say it. I'm not saying that you don't understand it, okay? And Vince and I were talking about it a little bit. Cryptocurrency in North America, we don't even need it. You know why? We have fiat, we have banks, we have everything we need here, but there's people around the world, four billion, and there's what, 8.9 billion people on the planet? So right around half the people on this planet don't have any access to banking at all. Yes, two thirds of the world's population that have no access to banking, they are not going to change our banking system. It's the people who are already in it, tired of sort of paying bank fees, we're tired of so many transaction fees. No, but who needs it more? The person that's hungry or the person that, eh. Darren, do you need Bitcoin today? Think no. About it. No, you don't. No, but a great point uh, you brought up about the whole aspect of what a truly global virtual currency means. Right? Like it's, it's for everybody. It's easy to think about Bitcoin in a localized environment. Like, oh, China just banned Bitcoin mining or India banned Bitcoin, period. And all of a sudden, the price of Bitcoin tanks and people start freaking out. That's the awesome part about Bitcoin. I think it was uh, Nassim Taleb or Taleb. He said, if you want to truly guarantee the success of Bitcoin, you need at least a couple countries to ban it. <laughs> that's what he said. I'm, I'm not saying word for word, but that's basically what he said. Because Bitcoin, it's anti-fragile. And that's a word he made up. And he basically said, the more you beat on Bitcoin and uh, try to ban it and try to hack it, the stronger it becomes. I just love that concept. Like Wall Street hates cryptocurrency. Sure they do. Now, why do they? They didn't get in on it. They couldn't get in on it. Well, they hate it because they missed it. I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. I'm not saying that they didn't miss it. But I think it's the fact that they're not able to hide what they do anymore. Here's a story that I'm not making up, but I don't know if the full details of that will give you what I think is a lot of the problems that comes along with Wall Street. Listen close, everybody. Facebook. Okay. You know, blah, 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 Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, everybody's on Facebook. Things are doing well. Oh, we're going to do an IPO. Wow, that's awesome. I would love to get into that IPO. I would love to scratch together a thousand bucks and put it in Facebook stock. Oh, you're not allowed. You're not a preferred client that's worth a hundred million or more. So the bank that did the IPO issuance basically sold Facebook stocks to all their favorite clients. And if you're Joe Schmo in the street, fuck you. Yeah. That's what Wall Street is. Oh, now we made three times our money. Now we'll sell to all the Joe Schmoes. Now we'll sell. That's what Wall Street is to the average guy. Yep. And ICOs, completely different ballgame. Yeah. You go on Binance, you buy Ripple for a, a penny a coin back in, I don't know when, maybe uh, spring 2017. You spend a thousand bucks, a year later you're a millionaire. That's why people loved crypto, because they weren't allowed to play with Wall Street. 
Only money is allowed to play in Wall Street. That's absolutely true. And until they fix that game, that's why Wall Street will always be hated. Nice. That's my feeling. You know, yet again, you're raising a great point as to why we want to invest in something like this because we can. Everybody wants a shot at big action. And if you do your due diligence, it pays off. But on Wall Street, it's not enough. You need to have $100 million in your wallet to make it work. Well, everyone knows 1% runs the world. But the gatekeeping level is so high. Millennials, all the kids, are like, forget it. They don't want your world. Doesn't decentralization is what we're talking about? Don't we at least have a chance? I'm not saying that we're going to solve the issue. But isn't this a better yeah, way of leading our lives? It's, you know it's what? better. It's, it's a step forward. Yes, it's a step forward. For sure. But at least we're going to solve a bit of the issue as to where all the flow of money has been going. And yet again, we're letting new people into the game. Yeah. Which I think is also good for them. If you're a one percenter, don't you want more people in the action? Now you're letting everyone into the action. All the traders are just, their mouths are watering. They should be. But with the but, ability to get in on all the dumb money, right? Because they'll short the hell out of it and screw people around. They're still going to be able to manipulate the market even though yeah. it's decentralized. Yeah. It, by the way, folks, it's called communication. <laughs> Why prices are the way they are. Enough people with money got together and decided to agree that was the price it should be. Mm-hmm. That's where the whales come in and set the price. Like, decentralization to me really means trust. Don't you think? No, it doesn't. Well, I don't need to trust you at all. That's what he's saying, right? I trust the system that you're giving it to me on. There you go. And a lot of the business that we do today, it's just not there. Especially in crypto. Oh, the level of chicanery is saddening, right? Hold on a sec. What was that word again? Chicanery. Thank you. Just want to make sure. That's one of my fun words. Okay, well, we'll let Gilles take a look at his notes. I would like to buy some Litecoin and some Ethereum and Diamond Lake. So let's talk about that. So why, why am I not letting you? Why do you want to buy Litecoin? And if, like, why do you want to buy it? That's what I want to know. Oh, I don't why? want to go too deep. Shall I No, well, you don't have to, though. Um, Just I, tell me why you want to buy it. I thought Litecoin was cool because it was in the top five best coins of 2018. Okay. Because now I'm producer of this podcast i get all these emails and spam every day yeah and, and i just learned by osmosis from hanging out with these two and ethereum because one of my favorite instagram followers is ethereum king and he keeps on sending me messages saying i should buy ethereum <laughs> I, do, I do need to pick up some ethereum um so i asked Aaron if i could buy some and then he gave me the challenge of getting a wallet so we're going to do that one episode. Love it. So get a wallet, buy you some Ethereum, and then you can document what you went through to do it. Yeah. Let's get down to the basics as to why people are going to listen to your podcast. Is because they want to know, yeah. what is crypto all about? Yeah, but I think people are intimidated by Bitcoin. And the one thing about this podcast is we keep on simplifying it, which makes it accessible to the public. You know what? You just hit on a great point. Whenever I feel I have an in on talking about crypto with someone... I do. And the first thing that I find out is most people don't have a clue what they're talking about. It is brand new. I run into people that either know a lot about it or people that know nothing about it. I don't find there's a lot of in-between. No. I'm not a techno-nut. A lot of the technology and the hashtagging and the crypto mining, I don't know anything about it. If you want to know a lot about it, 80% is easy, right? The last 20%, I don't even get into because it's, it's so technical. What I'd like to do is actually buy Andreas's book on Bitcoin. I think he's currently writing one on Ethereum. 
and he basically goes through everything. Because I know there's corners of that world that I don't know about. Well, why are people listening to your podcast? Let's let's get down to it. This is part of the reason why I wanted to get involved, is I feel that I'm new to it. Yeah. Now, I've done my reading in it. I yeah. feel that I know a fair amount about it. Yeah. But I'm the first one to say that I'm certainly far from an expert. I will never admit that I am an expert in this area because I'm not. No. But the lot. interesting thing about the podcast is yeah. it also forces you to think and try to learn more about it. Now, have you invested in it? In crypto? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I got skin in the game. People that are going to listen to this podcast are people that want to have some skin in the game. Now, before they do, they're going to want to find out a little more about it. So what is crypto about? What are the basics? I've got skin in the game. What got us to the point where we wanted to put skin in the game? And I feel that people that are listening to this, that's maybe where it's at. The first thing I did when I listen to your podcast, I listened to the last episode. Yeah. And then I just started going backwards. Okay. I just want to see where I relate. Where do we stand where we can invest, yeah. but we're not experts? And that's where most of the people fall into the stock market. Do they not? Look at ETFs though, right? I mean... There's so many options where investors with small amounts of money can invest in the market in a very broad sense, like low risk, even an S&P 500 ETF or, or something that just moves with the index. So you don't have to take the risk of investing in an individual stock, which used to be the case years ago. You can have a relatively small amount of money and invest in the stock market, but still not have to know a lot about the stock market now. You can just invest in an index. Not just that, but the return on your investment. I feel the crypto market compared to the stock market the percentage of money that you can make in the crypto market is insane. Oh, the potential for crypto is massive. It's yes. massive. Yeah. So I think that's why a lot of us are in it is because we're in the infancy stage. Yeah. It's at the beginning, but we see where it can go. We see right. the potential. We have the ability to get in it and feel like we are in it. We don't have to have a certain status in the trading market in order to buy a thousand shares. I can do what you can do, what the Winklevoss twins can do, yeah. what... Everyone knew Facebook was going to triple within three months or four months or five months or whatever, and it did. And it did. Yeah, and but it nobody did. was allowed to get in except the big money. It's gatekeeping to an extreme... It was frankly offensive. So I invested in an ICO. So all the kids are in ICOs. Yes. Right? I invested in an ICO. It's called BAX. Can you spell it, please? So B-A-B-B. The coin itself is the BAX coin, B-A-X. Okay. Basically, they want to be the first decentralized bank. Their main goal is they want to bring the people that don't have banking into the banking industry. When did you get in, Joe? I think it was February. Okay. The BAX had their initial coin offering, ICO. Now, the U.S., unfortunately, cannot get in these. That's, That's the right. law down there. Now, luckily for Canadians, people from the UK, this is a, a company that's out of the UK. UK is massively pro-crypto. Smart people over there, they get it. Same with Canadians. There's no law that states that you cannot invest in it. And it's so funny because the reason I got in was because of an American guy that was doing a podcast and he couldn't get in it. Yeah. So the first thing I did was start studying and looking into it. And I'm like, oh, I can. What they don't have is their banking license. And they still need that. And they have to go and apply for it. Okay. Specific to a country or? No, this is like an international banking license. Like a lot of international banks need. Except this is going to be done on a decentralized platform. Which I'm sure is making a lot of banks nervous. 
So maybe they never get their license. Maybe. Yeah. Right. So I've already 5x my money. I could sell right now. But to me, there's zero point in doing that. What's your end game? My end game is to hold on to this coin until this sucker just goes to the moon. Or bust? Oh, yeah. All right. Why not? Let me ask you a great question. If I, if I were to give you the chance to invest 600 American and you could make three grand for okay. sure. Okay. And you could exit. Or you could make, let's be realistic. Let's just say I make 100 grand. But I take the three grand initial payout or wait and take the 100 Correct. grand? What would you do? On three grand? No, I'm talking 600 US dollars. On 600 US? I take the investment. You would take the 100,000. Well, it really depends yes. on the yes. risk. I'd wait. You would but wait. What's when you take a little bit out? Take your net let's, out. Let's not be stupid. You Great s- point. You invested $600. Yeah. Okay. Let's be smart and take 10 grand out when it's worth it. Right. I invested $600. I have 318,000 shares of this company. Yeah. At some point, just like you said, my goal is when I get to five grand, yeah. I'm going to take 5,000 US. Get some out and let the rest ride. Yeah. That's right. That's what everybody I, should do. Play with house money. Yeah. If Bitcoin starts to get into even 50, 100,000, 200,000 US dollars per Bitcoin, right? Yeah. You know, what a lot of people don't consider is, what is that actually going to do to fiat currency? And the real answer is, it's going to turn fiat currency into paper, right? <laughs> Because everybody's going to want to buy Bitcoin and they're going to be trying to sell fiat currency to do it. What most people aren't really understanding is the devaluation of fiat at the same time. It's quite an incredible thing to talk about, right? Look at your tire, eh? I'm going to go to Okay, well, let's close it off. Joe, we'd love to thank you for coming on our podcast this week. It's been a blast talking with you, and we really hope to have you back again for sure. On behalf of Vince, Darren, Libby, and of course, Joe, we'd like to thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. May the coins forever fall in your favor. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. 